So as we continue on this week in our, our series of who we are as a church, the culture of living Hope Family Church, um, today we're going to go ahead and continue on saying that we are a people of faith here at Living Hope Family Church. We are a people of faith. And we're going to break down what faith is because some people are like, what's that mean? What does faith mean? What does that even, what does that look like in our lives to live by faith? What does that mean to say that we're a people of faith? But today I really want to take some time and, and break down what that looks like. Because there's a difference between worldly faith and godly faith. What do you mean, Pastor Wayne, that the people in the world have faith too? Yeah, they have faith too. They just don't call it that, but they still have faith. But there's a difference between worldly faith and godly faith because worldly faith is is based on your experience it's based on what you've already lived through in your life and what i mean by that well you you you're right now you came into this church this morning and you sat right down in your chair and you didn't think twice about it you had faith your the chair was going to hold you up and the reason why you had faith was the chair that was going to hold you up because every sunday you've come in here and you've sat down and the chair has held you up every single time So your faith was based on your experience. But godly faith is based on the Word of God. It's based in the infallible truth of His Word and who God is and the fact that He doesn't change. But if that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves, where does that faith come from? How do we get that faith? How do we exercise that faith in our life? And we're going to look at that today. And then the big thing about faith is, as we talked about, faith is in, in God's Word and in His fallible truth. But if that's the case, then we have to really ask the question, is God trustworthy? If we're going to put our faith in God, we need to know that He's trustworthy, right? That's a logical, a logical way to break things down. And, and the question is, will He do what He says He's going to do? Is He actually who He says He is? That's important to know these things. And we're going to look at that today as well. And then finally, the last thing I really want to take a look at today is what does faith in action actually look like? Because we can talk about it all day and we can, we can look at, at, at uh, the, the uh, intellectual aspect of it. You know, what does it look like on paper? But then I think we need to take a look at what it actually looks like to walk that faith and live that faith out because that's the thing about faith. James said, he says, you know, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, this is, people get that confused. James wasn't saying that, oh, to be saved, you have to do good works. He was not saying that at all. He was saying, if you're saved, naturally good works would come from that because something changes inside you. You believe who God is. You believe that he'll do what he says he's going to do. And as a result, something changes inside of you. So it produces something. You have to walk faith out. Faith actually demands action. Because if you can say you have faith, but if you don't actually take a step out of the boat, then it's just words. Amen? It's like there was a, uh, there was a man who was crossing Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he was putting stuff in this wheelbarrow and he's walking back and forth across this tightrope over Niagara Falls and he's putting bags of flour, bags of rice, putting all kinds of stuff. They're walking back and forth and he's getting a really big crowd around and people are watching and what's going on. And he says to the crowd, he says, do you guys believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and walk across this tightrope? And the whole crowd says, yeah, yeah, we believe. We believe you can do it. He says, are you sure? Do you really believe that I could put a person in this tightrope and walk across Niagara Falls in this wheelbarrow on a tightrope? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, we believe. He says, all right, since you guys say you believe, who wants to volunteer? 
And nobody raised their hand. Because they didn't, they didn't want to be the one to test if he really could do that, right? But faith, if you say that I believe God can do something, if you tell the guy, I believe that you can do it, you must be willing to get in the wheelbarrow, amen? In Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So what is faith? That's the first question that we have to ask. Did you know that the definition of faith has changed over the years, even in the, uh, the Webster's Dictionary? In 1982, this is what faith said in Webster's Dictionary. Faith, the firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. It is now simply watered down to belief in God or the teachings of religion. Belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings. It used to be a firm belief in God's testimony and the truth of the gospel, which influences the will. Well, old Webster had it right 20, 30 years ago. No, almost 40 years ago. 35? I, I should have did the math beforehand. If I'd have wrote it down, I'd have looked much more clever than I did right now. But he, he had a right back then. It influenced the will. It actually changed something inside of you. Now it's just so a strong belief. This right here, the now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Did you know that that can also be translated the substance or the subsistence of things? It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. What does that mean? It says, basically what that means is faith is actually what takes the things we hope for in God and turns them into a reality. Without faith, the things that we hope for are just, they're just wishes. They're just dreams. But with faith, the things that we put our trust in God for become a reality. They're the substance of what we believe in. Without faith, biblical hope is meaningless. And I got, you guys have heard me say before that biblical hope is different than the hope you see in the world, right? Because like, there's times I'm like, man, I hope the enchiladas are good in two weeks. I hope that they're really good. But there's, there's, no, there's no guarantee in that, except for I know the cooks. So... My, my worldly faith, based on experience, says they're going to be good. I would, I would buy two plates. But that kind of hope doesn't produce anything. That's just, you know, I, I, hope, I hope it rains tomorrow. You know? I hope my kids behave. Yeah, I, I wish. See, he just explained it. Hoping my kids behave is a wish. That's not based in any biblical truth. It's a whim and a, a whim. I'm hoping. But biblical hope is different. Because the hope that we place in God, it's, it's not a, an if or a might or a could be. It's a done deal when we pair it with faith. When you pair biblical hope with faith, when you, your hope of salvation, that is a done deal. There's no confusion. There's no question. It's not a, it might be. Biblical faith paired with hope is the substance. Amen? And then he says, for the conviction of things not seen. That means that even if we can't see it, 
even if it doesn't look like it's going to work out that way, even if, it, even if everything is pointing in a different direction, when we are placing our trust in the, the, the promise of God's word, it's a done deal. It's the conviction that what God said is going to happen is going to happen even if we can't see it. It's the conviction that God is going to provide even when it seems like everything is falling on around us. It's the conviction that, that I am whole, that I am healed, even though the doctors say something different. Even though when I look in the mirror, I see something different. And it's not seen yet. Faith is the conviction that that's going to happen. Do you guys remember the story of, of uh, I think it was Elijah. Elijah and Elisha. I always forget the two, confuse the two. The only thing I remember is that if you put them in alphabetical order, that's which one comes first. Elijah was before Elisha because J becomes before S. So it was, it was, I believe it was Elijah. And uh, do you remember the story? Like he, 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 he's, sees this widow coming down the street and he says how is it with you and her son had just died and actually elijah had promised her that she would have a son and and uh, anyway his her son had just died and she walks down the road and elijah sends his servant and the servant's walking up to him and she says how are things going and she says it is well and you're like wait a minute she just bold-faced lied to that dude her son is dead how many of you if you had one of your children die would be telling people all is well Anybody? Yeah, me either. But this woman, she walked down and she said, it is well. But Elijah knew what was going on. Elijah knew there was something wrong. And he didn't call her a liar. He didn't say, you're full of it, lady. He didn't say, get out of here. You can't even tell the truth to me. I don't even want to deal with you. But instead, he goes to the house and he raises that son from the dead. He doesn't say, you're crazy. You're a liar. Even though it's obvious that her child was dead. But she was convinced of something better because God had made a better promise to her. And she had the conviction of things not seen. And the scripture says, for by the people of old received their commendation. I want you to know that you receive your condom, con, <laughs> commendation, not condemnation. What are you guys trying to make me preach? I got my eyes on you. You receive your commendation as well by your faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith it's impossible to please God, but with faith you are pleasing to God. Amen? That is how we please God, by putting our trust. That's all God wants from you, is to put your trust in Him. He doesn't want anything more than for you to put your trust in Him. He sent his son and said, I don't care what you've done, the things that have happened in your life. I don't care who you were, what you used to do, who you used to run with, what job you used to have, who your friends used to be, what political party you were affiliated with. I don't care about any of that stuff. Just trust me. And that's what pleases him. But if we don't trust him, it doesn't matter about all that stuff we're doing. We can't be pleasing to God. Because it says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The truth is, is that sacrifices don't please God. You can read about that in Hebrews 10, 5-6. And the scripture also says that our good works are like filthy rags. That's in Isaiah 64, 6. Our good works, those good things that we think that we're doing that are somehow going to earn good graces with God. The scripture says those are like filthy rags. And that's just the translators being nice. What the word actually is, is those are like minstrel rags. Those are like bloody rags. Those are, they're worth, that's what your good works are worth to God if they're not paired with faith. 
Amen? Philippians 3.8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All those things that we think are so good that are doing something for God, they're worth nothing. Paul says, I put that all behind me. I count them all as nothing. All my successes, all of my... There's one scripture where Paul says that, that uh, in my zealousness for God, I was above everybody. In my studies, I was above everybody. And he says, you know what? I put all that stuff behind me because I'd rather put my trust in Jesus Christ. And our religious ceremony is never going to cut it. All those things, the traditions that we put forward, all those things, you know, the, that's never going to cut it. God's not looking for tradition or sacrifice. He's looking for faith. And that's what we believe here at Living Home Family Church. That's what we teach. And that's what's important to God is that we trust Him. And the Scripture says that we must believe that He exists and that He rewards us who seek Him. Basically, the Scripture says we must believe that He is who He says He is and that He'll do what he says he'll do. Amen? So that brings up another question, right? If we have to believe that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do, then the question is, is he someone that that's worth believing about, right? So is God faithful? James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. How many good gifts are from above? Every, how many perfect gifts are from above? Every good, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, we know that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Amen? And it says here that there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, if that's what the Scripture says, then we can know that back then when this Scripture was written, little over 2,000 years ago, or almost 2,000 years ago, that every good gift came from God. Every perfect gift came from God. But is that still true today? And the answer is yes, because the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, God is not different today than He was 2,000 years ago. He's definitely not different today than when He created the earth. Before the earth was even created, God is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, right now, next week. When you wake up and you're not feeling good, you feel like the world's against you, God's still the same. When you wake up and you feel like everything's going perfect, God is still the same. He's not going to change. There's no variation or shadow due to change. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken it and will he not fulfill it? See, the reality is, is that God is not going to lie to you. He's not going to change his mind. What he has said is truth. Whatever is written in the Bible, we can place our firm foundation of trust inside of because he will not lie to us. He will not change. He's, people are going to let you down. Your family is going to let you down. Your friends are going to let you down. Your work is going to let you down. And Lord knows the government's going to let us down. And the truth is, I'm going to let you down. Some of you guys are like, amen. <laughs> Keep it down, guys. But the truth is, is that, that people will let us down, but God never will. 
He is someone we can place our trust in. And he is never going to let us down. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. The scripture says, will he not do it? Yes, he will. Or has he spoken and will he not? These are rhetorical questions. These are like, come on, dummy. You know the answer to this. Do I really have to ask this? If he said it, he's going to do it. And we see his work in our lives and we see the evidence of his faithfulness in our lives. We see it every day, but sometimes we forget. Or sometimes we, we are distracted by other things. One of my favorite jokes is about the little boy that is always told to uh, go wash his hands before dinner. And he keeps being told, go wash your hands before dinner. And he walks to the bathroom and he's washing his hands and he says, germs in Jesus, germs in Jesus. All I hear about in this house, I've never seen either one of them. Sometimes we think we don't see God moving, but he's there. I mean, can you, can you imagine a time before we knew about germ theory? Like that's something that, that in, in the last probably 100 years or so, that's become, we've come to know a lot about that. And we begin to see changes. People are living longer than they... Can you, there used to be a time when antibiotic penicillin didn't exist. People used to die regularly from stuff that we don't even think about, we don't even consider. Because they, they couldn't see what was going on, so they did stuff that we know now to be dumb. But they didn't know. They couldn't see it. Well, the reality is, is just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not working. That's why faith is the conviction of what? Things unseen. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. But the reality is, is if you think about it, you really can see it. You see God's work in your life. You see God moving. And sometimes things aren't perfect. Sometimes we've got to fight. We've got to continue pressing on. One of the things that I've been uh, noticing recently, and, I've, and as I've, I kind of had this revelation of it from listening to another man's message, and uh, I kind of opened my eyes to it, and I realized that this has been happening in my life the whole time because you place faith in God, and you're waiting for something amazing to happen, and you keep trusting, and you're fighting, and you're scrapping, but you're not giving up because God is faithful. You're going to keep moving forward, and then finally, breakthrough. You guys ever had breakthrough when you've been trusting for something? And you're like, finally, it's, it's done with. It's over with. We're, all, we're good. And then you're fighting something else right afterwards. You're like, what the heck? I've just been trusting God for so long and it finally happens and I thought everything was going to be perfect. The story that, that the, the, uh, Stephen Furtick, I think is his, his name. Is that his name, Stephen Furtick? He was preaching. He said he was talking about Elijah. And Elijah went up and he prayed for rain to come and he had his head buried in his legs and he sent his, his, slave, his servant up the hill and said, you see the cloud? There's no cloud. He runs back down, runs back. If you see the cloud, there's no cloud. Runs back down. You see anything? Nope, there's nothing. Comes back down. And finally, on the seventh time, he sees a cloud, just like the size of a, of a man's fist. And Elijah's like, finally. Finally, the drought has ended. And do you guys remember why the drought happened in the first place? It was because Israel was, was disobedient and they weren't following God. So when the, when the drought ended, he said, finally, they're going to turn back to you. Fine, I've been fighting for so long. I've been living and, and being by a little brook and being fed by crows, by unclean animals, but you've provided for me. Finally, we pressed through. We made it through. The drought's ending. Israel's going to turn around and we're gonna, they're going to serve you and it's going to be awesome. No more fighting. No more starving. No more of this stuff. And he gets back to town and what's the first thing that happens? Someone wants to kill him. He turns and he, and he runs. 
because he had been fighting for so long. And he had been trusting for so long and he finally had his breakthrough for that thing unseen and it comes through and then he still has to fight. He still has to trust. Faith is not a one-time thing. Faith is not a, a, a just for a little while thing. We put our faith in God and we keep pressing on. And when we get our breakthrough, we put our faith in something else. And when we get our, I mean, for us here, I, I remember, I'm like, and this is something that I think every pastor that plants a church goes through. Because I know this because there's a couple others that I've talked to as well. And they tell you, you know, when you, when you open the doors, it's going to be hard, you know. You know, and we, we opened the doors in our house. There was just the seven of us. And, and you know, they told you it's going to be hard. You know, you're going to have to press on. Even if you have to preach to empty chairs for months on end, you just keep doing that and trusting God. And, and you hear that on one hand, but on the other hand, you're like, mine's going to be different, though. You watch. When I open the doors, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to get tickets or something because there's just not going to be enough room for everybody. We're going to have to, you know, put a schedule up so you can come the first Sunday of the month and you can come because the, there's, there's only 25 chairs in my house. We're gonna, and I opened the door and you know who was standing out there? No one. Finally, the Fuentes families, George and Anna and John and Monique, they show up, you know, half hour late. <laughs> From day one, they've been late. See, that's, you know, the things we hope for, like worldly, I'm like, I hope they're on time today. But... <laughs> You know I love you, right? <laughs> so, but they showed up, you know, and, and, and then it was just us for a long, long time. And then we had, uh, uh, a year later, we had our next uh, uh, outreach, and, and we had uh, George actually met this guy at a, at a Walmart and invited him to come to our outreach, and he shows up, and he actually shows up with a bunch of other people. So now we've got a bunch of other people at church, and everything's going great, and they all left but one of them. Hugo's the only one left from that group. And then I'm like, all right, so we press through, we're raising money, we're going to get in the building, and I'm like, but I'm going to keep trusting God, we're going to get through this, right? But I knew as soon as we got into a building, everything was going to, I figured two weeks after we got in the building, I'd be able to go full time, we'd have enough people in here, and, and, uh, but no, every time a breakthrough happens, you still have to keep fighting, you have to keep pressing on. Faith is not a, a one and done thing, faith is, is, is a continuing thing, continue to trust Him. So if that's the case, where do we get faith? Where does it come from? Because it's not something that's, that's in us. The Scripture says that, that, that God provides everybody a measure of faith. Romans 10.17, it says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. You see, if you want to build your faith, you need to spend time in the Word of God. That's the only way to build faith. This is to spend time in His Word. By hearing the Word. That's why when I preach, you hear me say so many Scriptures and you see me put up so many Scriptures on the wall and, and why I try to integrate that so much in it because if it's just up, up here giving you a motivational speech, it's not going to help anything. You need to hear the Word of God. And I hope that the words that I say help you understand it and help you. But it's not my words that are building faith inside of you. It's His Word because it comes by hearing His Word. And his word is important. Dwight Moody once said, if all this time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. He used to pray for faith. He said, I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. But then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
You can tell by the S that he was reading the King James Version, which, according to some, is the version that Jesus used. And he says, if faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, he says, I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. He says, now I open my Bible and begin to read God's word. And faith has been growing ever since. If you want faith, if you feel like that you don't have enough faith to trust God, if you're struggling, begin to read his word. If you need faith in a certain area, search up the scriptures that are in it. We live in a time now where you can, you don't have to go page by page. trying. If you're having trouble with healing, you don't have to flip through hoping for one on healing. You can go on Google, search for, for, for healing scriptures. You can go and if you've got a regular Bible, all of them have a concordance in the back that will tell you, you just look healing. You know, it starts with H, so you want to pass the A, B, C to get to healing. It's in alphabetical order. And then it will have page numbers by it. And those page numbers correspond with pages in your Bible. Can you believe that? And you'll find scriptures on healing. And then you can take those and you can write them down. You can put them on your mirror. You can put them on your fridge. You can put them on your phone to read them every day. And as you begin to read, the faith in that area will begin to increase and you'll grow in that area. And it's not a, uh, an awesome motivational speech that's going to do it. It's God's word that's going to build faith inside of you. You know, one of the things we all, how many of you guys like to hear a good testimony? Someone's life is told, that's awesome, right? I love them too, and they're important, I believe. But you know that those testimonies are not going to build faith in anybody? Those testimonies are not going to cause anybody to get saved? Now, I thank God that those testimonies will open doors and give us the opportunity to share God's Word with them. But if we don't share God's Word with them, they're never going to have the faith that they need to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We have to share His Word. And the truth is, is that they need to have faith that's based on Jesus Christ. They can't have faith that are based on the, the wisdom of man. You know, people that get saved because they, uh, they, they make a decision because they hear somebody's great testimony, that's not going to produce anything lasting in them because their faith is based on the story of a man instead of the infallible word of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Matthew thirteen fifty five says, Oh, You broke it, John. Way to go. <laughs> so we talked about how faith is important. We have to continue to have faith. And then where does it come from? It comes from reading his word. But then we need to take a look at uh, what are the enemies of it? Did you know that there's enemies of faith? That there are things that will steal faith from your life? You can have a great amount of faith and you spend time. One of the things that you can do to start losing faith is to stop spending time in the word. That's, that's a continual process to continue building your faith. But there's other things that will steal it as well. In Matthew 13, 55 through 58, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Unbelief is the enemy of faith. It is the complete opposite of faith. If you want to have your faith destroyed, beginning to begin to not trust who Jesus is, not trust that he is who he says he is. 
And this story here, now Jesus, this isn't the first time Jesus stopped at. He'd been going through all of this area and he'd been doing miracles. People's lives are being changed. Lepers are being cleansed. Dead are being raised. I mean, we only see a small subset of it. John, at the end of his book, says, I suppose if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, it would fill up all the books in the entire world. He said we couldn't contain everything that he did. So he's going around and, and at this point, people are hearing, they know about him, they're hearing about him, but he gets home. And they say, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that used to live here down the street? Just a carpenter's son? Who? And they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe that Jesus had any power. And it says he, they, they took offense at him. And then Jesus says, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Their unbelief in that city caused Jesus not to be able to do anything. It caused did you know that you can limit God's ability to work in your life? I thought God was all-powerful and He can do everything that He wants. He is. But He relies on you to trust in Him. He relies on you to trust in Him. And if we don't trust Him, if we don't walk with our eyes on Him, then we actually limit His ability to do anything in, in our lives. People say, I've been following God. I've been, I've been doing all these things and, and nothing's changed. I'm still in a dead-end job, still struggling month to month. And why have you been trusting Him and, and, and tithing? Trusting what is worth? Well, no, I can't afford to do that. Well, when you don't trust God in, in the area of your finances, it's hard for Him to bless you in His finances. Or, I've been trusting God to, to get well. I've been praying for healing and, and, and nothing seems to be happening. Well, have you been reading the Scriptures regarding that? Have you been, been trusting Him or have you been going to a doctor expecting them to take care of everything? Now, don't get me wrong. Go to a doctor. God can work through doctors. The price you realize is when your trust is in the doctor and not in God to use the doctor. And there is a difference. But if something in areas you're struggling with, you need to spend time in the Word and have your faith grow in that area because if we have no faith in an area, it limits God's ability to work. It says He didn't do mighty works there because of their unbelief. If we don't believe that God will do what He says He'll do, we actually limit His ability to work in our lives. It's like Peter. You guys remember the story of Peter? He steps out in the boat and he walks out and he's walking on water. He's doing all kinds. Of, this is why we talk about faith has to be continual as well, right? You can't have faith for a little bit and it lasts for the rest of your life. You have to continually be in faith. So Peter, so Jesus walking on water. I right? just walk across the lake. He freaks them all out. And they're like, what is that? It's a ghost. There's somebody walking on the water. And then they say, Jesus, oh, guys, chill out. It's just me. This is the, the New Wayne translation. He says, chill out. It's just me. And, uh, and Peter's like, well, if that's you, call me out into the boat. And Jesus is like, come on out. So Peter walks out. He begins to walk on water. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And he trusts God and begins walking on water. How many of you guys walked on water? Not me. I float better than some of you, but never walked on water. But I, <laughs> I, he, and he begins to walk out on water, and he gets to Jesus. And then he begins to sink. This is another one of those things. Like he has that breakthrough. He's walking. He actually makes it all the way to Jesus. And then all of a sudden he begins to sink. I don't know what was going through Peter's head. Did he get scared because of the storm? Did he figure because, oh, I finally made it. I'm, I finally made it to Jesus. I don't have to have faith anymore. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to press on anymore. And he began to sink. But Jesus reaches and grabs his hand. And he pulls him up. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, it wasn't an a inability on God's part to give Peter the ability to walk on water. We know that he could do that. It, it wasn't like God's power ran out. I mean, God doesn't have a power meter and you take so many steps on water and you exhaust it. 
It wasn't that. It's somewhere at the end, Peter's faith began to waver. And he began to fall. He began to slip into the water. I want to talk to you now about the power of faith as well. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You know, if we can get past the unbelief part, we begin to realize that faith is mighty and powerful in our life. If we can just shut off that unbelief muscle and begin to work out our faith muscle, begin to put trust in God, you will see incredible things happen in your life. You are going to see cancer get eradicated. You are going to see people raised from... Pastor Wayne, people don't raise from the dead anymore. Yeah, they do. We don't see it here very often because nobody wants to actually be crazy enough to believe that God can do something like that. But you go to third world countries where people aren't, aren't so uh, uh, entrenched in science that uh, they, they believe that, that God can do powerful things and people are raised from the dead and crippled people walk again and people that are blind begin seeing again and people that are deaf begin hearing again. And it's not that it doesn't happen in the United States, it does. You hear stories about that all the time. We have one this morning. Joseph, do you mind if I share? The, the, this, this morning, Joseph comes in and we prayed for Joseph what, two weeks ago, maybe? Uh, he had a problem with his leg and his back and it was causing him a lot of pain and he was in, not doing and He had a doctor's appointment uh, scheduled for that and we laid hands on him and we prayed for him. And Joseph was just crazy enough to believe that God is who he is, said he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. And this morning he comes in and says, praise God, my back and my leg are healed. I've canceled my doctor's appointment. He's healed. And we've, it's not the only one we've seen in this church. People have been touched by the hand of God because they're just crazy enough to believe that He is who He says He is. He'll do what He says He's going to do. Amen? And the Scripture says that, that a little bit of faith goes a long way. He said, because of your little faith, this, He's talking about why, why uh, something didn't happen. And Jesus said, because of your little faith. He says, but truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. That faith the size of a mustard seed. If you have faith like. He didn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I want to point that out. You know, if you want to move a mountain, you're going to need more than a mustard seed's worth of faith. You're going to need a lot of faith to move, move stuff like that. It takes a little bit of faith. Mustard seed size faith to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you want your cancer to be eradicated, that's going to take a little bit more faith. But it starts with faith like a mustard seed. Because if you've ever looked at a mustard seed, they're tiny. You put one in your hand, you can barely see the little tiny speck. But they grow up into plants that are over 10, 12 feet tall that full birds can land on them and they, they bear the weight of birds. They're huge plants. And that's what he's saying. If you have faith like a mustard seed, what that means is you have faith that starts out small, but you begin to cultivate it. You begin to water it. You begin to exercise it. You begin to use it. It'll grow into something massive. And then that faith can move mountains. That faith can make a difference. Matthew 21, 21, it says, And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not, do not what? Do not doubt. Because what is the enemy of faith? Unbelief. He says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, it will happen. 
So that's the key. We have to cultivate and grow our faith by spending time in His Word, because that's how we get faith, right? That's the only way in the Scriptures it says you get faith, is by hearing His Word. And as you hear His Word, and you exercise it, and it grows, and then you don't doubt, you can say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen. You know what it doesn't say? This is what faith is not. Faith is not saying, oh God, can you please take care of this mountain? Oh God, pretty, 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 please, will you please just just move this mountain? God, if you move this mountain, then I promise that I'm going to serve you from here on out. If you'll just move this mountain. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that if you have faith and you do not doubt it, it says, who says to the mountain? You. You say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and it'll happen. Pastor Mike used to always say, that's my pastor, used to always say that sometime, at some point we need to stop telling our God about our problems, but instead start telling our problems about our God. And say to them, to be thrown into the sea in the name of Jesus, get out of here. That's why we pray, we lay hands on the sick. The word says that they'll recover. We pray and we say, we take authority over this sickness and we command it to go in the name of Jesus. We tell the sickness to go. We don't ask, pretty, pretty, please, God, would you pretty, please? Please heal them. Father, if you'll heal them, then I, I promise I'll give more and I'll come to church more and I'll, I'll do that. We, we don't say that. We say to these mountains, go. Amen? That's the power of faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Did you know that it says here that you've been crucified with Christ? That means that you traded places with him. Your old Jew, that person that, that was, was broken and messed up, died with Jesus Christ. Jesus gave you his life, you gave Jesus yours, and he put your old life to death. And it says, the life I live now, I live in the flesh. That I live in the flesh, I live by faith. That means that, that by faith we are made brand new because Jesus gave us a new life. That means by faith we believe the old life has passed away because it died with Him. We believe that we are holy because He is holy. We believe we, we are perfect because He was perfect and He gave us His life. And faith is how we step out into the reality of what Jesus Christ has done inside of us. That's what Paul says, that I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, you know, it may, I may not look different on the outside. Sometimes I still get temptations and they try to get a hold of me. But you know what? I step out in faith. I live by faith by what Jesus has done in me, by faith in the Son of God. Even if our spirit, what I mean by that is, is or not our spirit, but our, our soul, even our soul is, is telling us something different because you have a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have a body. And when you get saved, your spirit in a heartbeat in, a, in an instant is made brand new. There's a miracle that takes place, and sometimes it takes a little bit for our, our, our soul and for our body to catch up. With, with what's happened in our spirit. And sometimes our soul, our mind, our will and emotions will begin to tell you, oh no, that's not true, this hasn't happened. But even if, our, even if our mind tells us something different, even if our heart tries to tell us something different, we believe in something better. We believe, we walk by faith in His Son. Even if our friends and family, tell, and you remember your friends and family try to tell you something different about you? You know, I thank God that uh, my family is says has uh, come to terms with who I am now as a pastor. Because you guys didn't know me before I was a pastor. They did. And it, took a, it was hard for them because they knew who I was. 
And they're like, I know who you are. This isn't who you are. This isn't. And uh, the truth is, is that sometimes your friends and your family will try to tell you something different. But you say, no, I live my life by faith in the Son of Jesus Christ, or Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. Or even if your past tells you something different, sometimes you'll try to remind yourself, I know the things that I did. How can God love somebody like this? But instead, by faith in the Son of God, we live our life not based on our past. And for sure, if the devil accuses us of something, because the Scripture says that, that who can accuse the brethren? We just ignore him. He doesn't have anything to say. He only has power in your life if you let him speak into it. Amen? But by faith, we live. By faith, we walk in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. This is why when I pray for you for healing, and you guys have ever, some of you that had me pray, I said, you know what, if, 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 some, if you get up in the morning and you still see what we prayed for is still there, then you just begin to trust in the Word of God. You be, the Scripture says that we laid hands on you, you will recover. The Scripture says by His stripes you are healed. So when you get up in the morning and you still see whatever's going on, you say, nope, I am healed by His stripes. And you begin to speak the Word of God over whatever's going on in your body because we don't walk by sight. You know, when we look and we see that we still got something going on, we still see that we're sick, we have a cold, we have whatever. But faith says that we don't. So we choose to believe that. We walk by faith and not by sight because God has control over an area when we put our trust in Him. And He is faithful. He won't let us down. And we have to understand that there's a difference between truth and facts. And here's the difference. Truth never changes. Facts change. Truth is infallible. I don't care what they say on the, on the media today. Everybody doesn't have their own truth. There's only one truth. By definition, there can be only one truth. I don't even see how that can enter into somebody's... Your truth is not the same as my truth. Guess what? Our truth is the same. There's only one truth by definition. Like, you ever wanted to smack somebody upside the head with a Webster's Dictionary? Like, truth is infallible. It can't change. But facts, they change. You know, the, the fact is, is that, that you might have a cold right now, but the truth is that you're healed. The fact is, you might still be walking with a limp, but the truth is that you're healed. The fact is, you don't know where, where money's going to come to pay rent, but the truth is, is that God, the, the Bible says that God will never leave you or forsake you, and he will provide for you. There's a difference between truth and fact. I mean, the truth is, is there are times, or the fact is, is there are times that we don't feel clean that we don't feel saved, that we don't feel righteous. But the truth is, is we are all of those things because of Jesus Christ. Amen? 1 John 5, 4 says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Jesus Christ overcame the world, and it's our faith in Him that gives us the victory, the same victory that He has. And the reality is, is that the world is always going to come knocking. Temptation is always going to come knock, knocking. But it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It doesn't say he might overcome the world or he could overcome. It says he overcomes. That's an act of continually doing. He always overcomes. The person who is born of God. And we overcome by faith. Scripture says that's the victory. We overcome the world by our faith. And that's well, we've been talking about that's faith that we are healed. That's faith that we are victorious. That's faith that we are more than conquerors. That's faith that we are loved. Sometimes we may not feel loved, but God has proven his love for us by giving his son. 
Sometimes we don't feel good enough. We don't feel forgiven. We don't feel like anything sometimes. But it's our faith in Him that has us to overcome all of those things going on inside of us. Luke 18.17 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we've been talking about the power of faith, and I want to talk to you about uh, a demonstration of what childlike faith looks like, because that's actually what we need to demonstrate is childlike faith. The problem is, as adults, we get our heads wrapped up into everything, and we try to rationalize, we try to make everything logical, we try to you know, get a list out and weigh the pros and cons. But have you ever seen a kid trust their parents like that? When I was, when Blake was little, he was two or three years old, and I still, this is actually what, what God used to demonstrate in my life, childlike faith. And he comes up to me, and he's got this toy, and he had broke it. Anybody ever have a kid break one of their toys? And he broke it. I don't know what he did. He broke it good. But he comes up to me, and he says, Dad, fix it. And I'm like, son, I can't fix it. And he looks at me straight in the eyes without a doubt, and he says, yes, you can. I said, no, son, I can't. Yes, you can. You can fix it. He came up to me without a, he was convinced that I could fix it. That was childlike faith. He, it, the thought never entered his mind that I couldn't fix it. Unfortunately, I couldn't. His faith didn't, you know, fortunately, faith in God is going to do you much better than faith in me. But I wasn't, he, but he, he didn't have a doubt in the world. He was actually baffled that I couldn't fix it. He was confused because his faith in me was, was without doubt. It wasn't wavering. It was childlike faith. And that's when God began to show me that that's the kind of faith I want you to have in me, to come up to me and, and, and don't begin to figure out all the reasons why God can't do something, but instead believe that he will and he can. And the good news is, is when you place that kind of faith in God, he never comes back to you and says, oh, I can't do that. That's impossible for me. Because things that are impossible for me are not impossible for God, amen? Unless I do them through him. Because God can do impossible things through him as long as I'm leaning on him. And that's where the difference comes in. You know, and that's not the, the only time that you see childlike faith. The other time that you may have had experience with is, you ever seen a kid standing up on like the edge of a deck or on the, the railing of something or a monkey bar or whatever, they're standing up there and, and you say, jump. And they just, with abandon, off the edge. They just jump. They don't have a doubt or a care in the world that you're not going to catch them, at least not till you drop them the first time. Then they might think about it. How many of you know God doesn't ever drop us? He doesn't ever let us hit the ground. Sometimes we fall farther than we might like, but He never lets us hit the ground. He never lets us go faith. He's always there to pick us up, to carry us, to guide us, and faith in Him will pull you through every single situation. And now we're going to go through quickly just some stories of what faith looks like, what faith in action actually looks like. Matthew fifteen twenty five through 28 says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. And what happens because of her faith is great? He says, Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This lady was a Gentile. She wasn't even a Jew. And at this point, Jesus hadn't come to deal with the Jews or the Gentiles yet. Right now, he had come initially to the Jews for them to, to give them an opportunity to receive him. And he goes up to him and he says, 
He says to her, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dog. That's what he's saying. He says, woman, it's not right for me to take something that is supposed to be for the Jews and give it to you right now. This is, this is their promise. This is their deliverance. This is, their, this is theirs. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, you know what? I believe that you can still do it. I'll take whatever you have. I'll take whatever you can get. I believe that even the crumb will be enough. I believe that the tiniest bit of attention that you give him be enough. And she says, I'm going to fight through this crowd of Jewish people. I'm going to press through. And I'm going to, because you remember the story, right? Because she's walking by, she touches the hymn of God, and Jesus is like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, he's going cuckoo. He's surrounded by people. They're everywhere. Everybody touched him. What's he talking about? I think he's losing it. He's cracking up. But he says, no, somebody touched me. I felt power come out of me. And when people, when that happens, people press through the crowd. They, they, I mean, story after story of people pressing in and pressing through. He says, Lord, help me. He says, woman, great is your faith. Be it done according to your faith. That's what faith looks like. Pressing in and trusting even when things don't look good. Luke 7, 6-9 says, And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, and centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, do not presume to come to you. Do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under, set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You know, Jesus only marvels at two different occasions in the Bible. He marvels at great faith and great unbelief. Those are the two. And this is when he marvels at his faith. This, this Roman soldier, also not a Jew. And he says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to me. You just say the word because I get how authority Authority works, and you have the authority to to make my servant be healed. Don't you don't have to bother coming? Just say the word. That's what real faith looks like. I mean, this guy had no doubt that when Jesus spoke, that it was going to happen. This guy had no doubt. Or care. I mean, he's like, I know, I know how this works because I tell my soldier to do something, and he goes and does it. And if he doesn't do it, there's consequences. So I know that that this world, when you tell something to happen in this world, that it has to do it. It doesn't have a choice. He said, this is great faith, and Jesus marveled. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the problem. You know, this is what our biggest problem with in faith is in the United States, is we all are, we all are okay to have faith for a few moments. And, and we see that all the time. People begin to pray, they ask God for stuff, and then, then when, when God doesn't answer them, you know, in two minutes, they hit the, they hit the timer on the, on the microwave waiting for that burrito. If the burrito's not hot in two minutes, they're done. We ain't having this. We're sending it back. And we live in a generation now where everything's instant. Everyone, everything's microwavable. Everything just takes a few minutes, and we expect stuff to happen like that. And the same thing is the problem is, is we begin to express that towards God and we're like, God, I, I prayed that and it didn't happen. Or they'll say, I'll say, hey, are you standing in faith believing for this thing? And they're like, I, I prayed for it, but uh, you know, I just stopped because it just didn't happen. Well, how, how long did you pray for? Well, I started last night and it hadn't happened by this morning. Sometimes you've got to keep that faith going. You've got to keep pressing on and you've got to trust God. 
And he says, he says, we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know, sometimes you have to have patience. You begin to ask God for a thing and you trust him and you believe him. And if it's according to his word, it will happen because he's, he's not going to change his mind. He is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And it's like if, when I was a kid, I used to, to take popcorn seeds out of my, my mom would buy popcorn. And uh, she, she didn't make the instant popcorn. You know, she would make it on the stove, you know, put some oil on the bottom of a pan, throw the things in there and swirl it around over and over. Speaking of popcorn, you guys remember the Jiffy Pop where you put it in and it was in the pan and then like the thing got all big? And that was my favorite when I was a kid, just to watch that get bigger and bigger. But anyway, she would make popcorn in the pan like normal. And so I would go in and I would grab the, the popcorn seeds out. And turns out if you plant those, they'll grow. You can grow corn from a popcorn seed. Go figure. You would think I would always think they'd be dead or something in there. I'm mean, no, though. So I would get these these uh, containers and I would I would uh, uh, put them plant the the corn in there and I would wait a few days and then nothing would happen. So then I would dump the dump the cup out and pour the dirt and there it was. The, the the corn was trying to grow, but I couldn't see it yet. And I had just killed what was going on in there because I didn't have patience to wait for it to come out. I had planted the seed. I mean, could you imagine if farmers did that? They plant the corn, and they're like going around, and, and three days later, it's like, man, there's no corn. Dig it all up. Let's replant it again. None of us would have any food. They have to trust that something is going on that they can't see. They have to trust that the seed is being, beginning to grow. It's beginning. If you've ever seen a seed grow, I don't know why they do it, but it seems like no matter what, the thing always grows down first and then back up. But sometimes you have to wait. I remember I finally got smart and started planting, uh, planting them in, in plastic containers that I could see through, so that way I at least let it go long enough. But we have to, with patience, we inherit that promise. The problem is if you've been believing for something, if you've had faith for something, sometimes we give up, and instead of just continuing to trust and press on for a little bit longer, we dig it up. And we, just, we, we kill what God was trying to do because we get impatient, and we mess it up. Don't mess it up. Just continue to trust God. He is faithful. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes it takes a little while. You're like, how long, Pastor? How long should I wait? How long should I trust? Well, you guys remember Abraham waiting for, for Isaac to be born? You know how long that took? I'm looking at the numbers. Sometimes I've got to write it down so I don't get stuff confused. 25 years. 25 years. So if you haven't waited 25 years, you're still not at the point. But that's not even it. What about Noah? God says, I'm about to make it rain. He's like, what's rain? He's like, just build a boat. So he starts building a boat. And he begins preaching. And he's like, everybody, God's going to flood the earth. Repent. You know, you need to get things straightened out. It's going to make it rain. And flood the earth. Like, what's rain? What's flood the earth? What does that even mean? We don't get it. He says, you know, you need to change stuff around. And they're like, after 10 years, they're like, I think this Noah's guy is full of, full of garbage. I mean. It ain't rained. It ain't started to rain. Nothing's changed. And then he keeps preaching. And 20 years goes by. And I bet, I bet Noah at this point's like, God, like, it doesn't look so good. It's been 20 years. And then 30 years goes by. God said, Noah, build the ark. We're going to put the animals in. I'm going to flood the earth. And it's been 30 years. 
And on one hand, he's probably like, thank God it's not happened yet. The ark's not built. But, God, it's been 30 years and nothing's changed and these people aren't changing. I'm, I'm preaching to them every day and nothing's changing. And then 40 years and then 50 years and then 60 years and 70 years and 80 years and then 90 years and 100 years. And surely by 100 years, he would have figured God would have done something. But no, then 110 years and finally, 120 years later, Noah had been believing God for 120 years and he never saw anything. It was still dry and dusty. He's building his ark and uh, he's doing what God told him to do. And, and poor Noah, he is the most unsuccessful preacher in the history of the Bible. He preached for 120 years and nobody got saved. Just him and his family. Saved the animals, that counts for something, I suppose. But 120 years. So, if you're trusting God for something and you haven't hit the 120 year mark, just keep on trusting. And I think that pretty much covers it, right? <laughs> if you haven't hit the 120 mark, just keep trusting. With faith and patience, you will inherit the promise. And we're going to end here in Ephesians 6 13 through 17. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. In the evil day, having done all to stand firm, standing therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish most of the flaming darts of the evil one. Is that what it says? It says you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit which is the word of god i want to show you something just take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand the evil one in the day and having done all to stand firm so he says having done all stand firm and then he says after you've done all to stand firm he says stand therefore you put all this stuff on and you stand firm, you prepare, and you just continue standing firm. And you continue trusting God. And you continue on with the armor of God. And you put on the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You guys know what those flaming darts are in your life? That's the stuff that comes and tells you. It's the accusations. It's the sickness. It's the disappointments. It's the calamity. It's the failures. It's all of those things that want to take and remove your eyes from God and put them on something else. Either yourself or other people or other things. When the devil, he's just trying to take you down. He wants you to believe that your faith isn't worth anything. But if you hold that faith up and you stand firm, you don't, you don't lose your ground. You go ahead and you plant one foot back and you hold that shield up. And this, this description here is of a Roman soldier and a Roman soldier's field would cover them from head to field. A shield would cover them from head to toe. They were completely protected by their shield. And then when they got together with other soldiers, if you've ever seen it, they could come together and put their shields together and they could put a complete barrier around them and they would stay protected. That's what the Bible, put up your shield of faith. Stand firm. Remain patient and press through. Amen? And that's who we are as a church. We are a people of faith. 
We are a people who are just crazy enough to believe that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.